It's a beautiful spring day out there, Kerry Harrison. It's beautiful. The birds are tweeting. They are. It's, it's a scene, isn't it? It's a it's picture. Very nice, very nice. But you know what? What's that? I feel a little bit disruptive. Do you now? Why should that be? Well, that's because today we are interviewing Jeffrey Cologne. He mm-hmm. is the head of Microsoft Advertising Brand Studio, a conversational experience designer and the host of Disruptive FM podcast. He's also the author of Disruptive Marketing, so quite a lot of disruption going on today. It's fair to say anything could happen. Indeed. And so it began. Let's go. See, Kev, they never, ever, do they? 15 podcasts in and they never call back, do they? <laughs> I've learned nothing. I've learned nothing. The 15th, Tiny Giant Jam. Um, and we, we, this is very exciting, Kev. Very exciting. Very exciting. Very exciting because there's a few firsts happening today. Um, for example, it's the first time we've done one of these, Kerry, and I'm not looking at your sweet face, am I? No, we, no, we are not in the same place. Yeah. We're in different locations. That's that's a bit of a so we're using some very different technology today, and then to make it even more interesting and another first is the fact that our our esteemed guest, Jeffrey Cologne, isn't even in the same continent as us, is he? Nope. No, absolutely remarkable. He is, is in fact not that I know off the top of my head. I think I believe he's four thousand seven hundred nineteen miles away. Um, so that's pretty remarkable. Um, so yes, we've got we're doing our, our, our Skype connect with Jeffrey all the way over in Seattle. So let me just quickly introduce him. Jeffrey Cologne is head of Microsoft Advertising Brand Studio. He is conversational experience designer, but of course he's also it always gets me quite excited. He's also podcast royalty, isn't he? With uh, Disruptive FM and there's some other cool things we'll certainly touch upon. Trend Studio, all the stuff going in Microsoft. So first and foremost from us, Jeffrey. Just to prove you're there in Seattle, hello. Hey, how are you? Very well. We've already checked out on our uh, on our Alexas and our Google Homes that it's nine degrees and sunny in Seattle. Ah, yes, it is. Um, we're having a a good early spring here. I'm enjoying it. Brilliant. Now, just just I like to, a sense of context. Um, all about you, right? Um, first off, you're saying you're you're in Seattle today, yeah? Yeah. I am. Yep. And so does that put you in the, I think it's called the Redmond campus, is it? Or are you somewhere else? No, that's exactly where I am. I, I work in uh, Redmond I'm, uh, on the main campus here of uh, Microsoft. Wow, that's a pretty impressive facility, isn't it? Yeah, it's big. I mean, I think the last uh, statistic I looked at, there's about 45,000 people that work on Microsoft's campus here in the in the puget sound region in seattle so it's um yeah big colossal sort of star trek enterprise <laughs> <laughs> now um i see i i had to think about this on your linkedin profile jeff right it's very impressive in fact it's so like it, it could be a film as opposed to a linkedin profile right because you're a guy <laughs> you've done many things right and I love that line at the top. You work at the intersection of innovation, marketing, tech, design, media, human behavior, popular culture, and trends. And I'm sure we're going to touch on a whole bunch of that stuff today. But I want to say one thing. This is classic frivolous naught before Harry brings the brings the gravity up. 
your podcast, right? We're a little bit jealous of you. And do you want to know why? Why? Seven, 37 episodes in. But what I was listening to, what caught my ear, was that, that, that intro, eh? That intro you have on your... What's that about? <laughs> it's very full on. You get excited listening to it. It's like full Skrillex. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I think I, that, that, you know, my producer, Jonathan Keith, he's based in Los Angeles. We're both big music, you know, aficionados. And he was like, hey, we need like a, like a sort of a booming soundtrack, not long, but something that kicks in to set the tone for what the podcast is all about. And, you know, we're seeing more of this audio branding is, is, a huge part of the world now so it's nice that you have a producer in la i think take a note kerry that's something we (laughs) (laughs) there was something we were doing wrong and now i realize what it was now i've got to say if there's one word jeffrey looking around the internet studying your form that uh, kind of uh, caught all right there is one word and that word is right what is that word it's disruptor in it you are a disruptor no doubt you're going to disrupt this podcast at some point if you were, I don't know, if you had been a French medieval noble nobleman, you'd have been called Geoffrey the Disruptor, wouldn't you, right? Or you could have been French Cologne, I guess, but I'm not going to use that one, right? But what is it about disruption in, in the positive sense and disrupt all these in the aspects that, that appeals to you? Where has that come from? I mean, I think I think a lot of it is just, you know, there's always the discussion that the world is you know, really hasn't changed. I mean, I've been following a lot of Twitter conversations lately where people are saying, you know, the world hasn't changed at all. People are still the same. And, you know, I can agree with that. I mean, I think humans are, you know, we're all, I think, after the same things, you know, happiness, um, shelter, love, uh, all the needs that you see when, when it comes to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but, you know, humans also are, you know, we want to push for prescriptive change in the sense that we have the ability to organize with others and say, hey, do we like the systems we've designed? And if the answer is no, then let's go and actually change those. And I think what, you know, has happened with the term disruption is anytime someone wants to change something and, and change it in a radical way, they're looked at it as a you know, oh, you're, you know, you're disrupting the status quo when really what you're doing is you're just saying, how do we plot things or how do we redesign systems that we're not necessarily, you know, happy with? We don't have to, we don't have to continue to use the systems that we have just because they're there. I think that, uh, that's, um, you know, that's not showing how intelligent we are as human beings. We should be trying to push for things where, you know, we're able to, to grow. And, and I think that, uh, that, that causes a lot of chaos. People, you know, humans in general love habits. We love doing a lot of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And anytime we're pushed out of that, that, uh, that causes a lot of people to, you know, to see chaos. And I, I don't know, I've been that way since I was younger, like just always questioning, like, why does it have to be that way? And, you know, you always get the answer because, because that's just the way it is. And I just think that that's just, uh, you know, that's just a cop out. It's like, well, you know, we don't necessarily like the way that this is designed. Let's try to sort of figure out how we 
do it in a new way. And there's a lot of really great, bold ideas, I think, that are out there that hopefully see the light of day in the next couple of years. Because um, I think right now we're at a point in in the world where there is a lot of development and not so much a lot of research mm-hmm. on the things we should be developing. Yeah. Now, Machine Queen, I know you've got something you've, you've been dying to ask, Jeff. I've got, I've got a few questions, actually, but I think one of the things I've noticed about looking at your LinkedIn profile and your history is just that you, your path to your current role is you've taken many different turns, I would say, that you started off as a marketing coordinator and then moved through to a creative director. You've also been a vice president of digital strategy. And we spoke a little bit earlier, actually, just before this podcast about you were saying about the combination of creativity and the analytical mind. I was just wondering if you could just give us a bit of, just a little bit of background of how that journey has been for you, because it, it feels like it isn't a conventional creative like typical creative path um, and what's led you to being at Microsoft, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I get that question a lot and I, it's, it's interesting because it makes me sort of have to look at history or herstory. I like to use that term a lot. Now I have two daughters. I say herstory a lot. They're like, what the hell are you talking about, dad? Um, but I, you know, I think it's interesting to look at, you know, the path that we take as we move, you know, through life and, um, I mean, I think the the most difficult thing is most jobs and most systems, the way they're designed is, hey, we have a position, we need to fit a cog in the wheel, who's going to fit into that, you know, that section that can do what we want them to do, and then they don't ask any other questions. Um, most of what I, what I've been able to, to most of the jobs I've been able to have, have never really been well-defined because I've always had really good managers, really good leaders. Uh, my first manager was this woman in the music industry who just did not, um, you know, did not fit in with most of the male leadership who she reported to. She just was like, Hey, this is how we're going to do things. And, um, you know, she was a very tall German woman, and I think a lot of people did not want to, you know, screw with her. Uh, but she she knew where things were moving. She was talking about her and I were talking about MP3 technology probably in 1996. Okay. And I think it's important to have those people in your in your life. Yeah. Because they're more open to. I don't want you to just do the job. I want mm-hmm. you to figure out you know, what the problems are and then find solutions for them. And, um, they're not about job description They're They've always been about culture and chemistry. Do mm-hmm. I like this person? Yes. Do I care about them? Yes. Do I think they'll do a good job and add to the culture? Yes. Then they should be hired. There's a great study that was actually done a couple of years ago where the NBA, the national basketball association was drafting a number of players to different teams uh, I think the the team in, in 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 this situation was the Houston Rockets. And the general manager was like, these players have amazing statistics. They're going to do really well here. And every one of those players did nothing okay. until they changed their ideology, which was it's not about the numbers. It's a lot about who is this person? What do they add to the mix of the team? What are, you know, what, what is their style? 
are non-style. And I think we're starting to get back to that again, where people are saying, yeah, let's look at the numbers, but let's also look at what this person is able to add. So, you know, I, I got into technology from the music industry. I was lucky to go work for a Richard Branson uh, startup after working for a pretty large multinational um, music conglomerate. I think the Richard Branson startup, even though he wasn't, you know, it was just one of many businesses he had, yeah. but his DNA was there. I mean, yeah. Richard Branson's a really interesting person because he's just not by the book at all. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that I think helped me a lot to catapult me to say, Hey, I really liked working in the music industry and doing different things, but you know, maybe I want to go actually work in the tech startup scene after that, which is where I went to. Okay. And I had a great leader there. This, this, this person who just said, Hey, I, I really like all the things that you're thinking about because we are a startup. We don't have the money to do things in a conventional way, figure out, a, you know, different paths to get us to where we need to go. Eventually that company went public, um, you know, and IPO'd and I exited later and went to the agency world and, and, and started really for, you know, a, at small boutique agencies. The wonderful thing there, you know, Carrie at, at small boutique agencies is, you can always get your hands dirty because yeah. the ownership is not owned by a large holding company or a consulting firm. So they're, again, they're like, figure out how to do this. I think what's happened basically is I'm, I'm more of a late bloomer. I ended up, you know, at Ogilvy way later in my career than okay. most other people. And then at Microsoft way later in my career than other people. But I think it's, uh, it's, it's good advice I give to people quite a bit. Don't, if you if you go and work for a big company right away, you're never going to be able to get your hands dirty and do things and learn because they're going to have a regimented system yeah. that says do it this way. Whereas if you go and work for smaller companies, you know, mid-sized companies, yeah, you don't really get paid very much, but that's not the important thing in life sometimes. It's what am I going to learn here? Am I going to be able to be a small fish in a small pond but be able to grow? That where I, I can then become a bigger fish in a bigger pond and actually have, you know, real change. So I, I, I think in this era where the Internet and artificial intelligence and other technologies are opening us up to the fact that we can pretty much do lots of things we weren't able to do in the industrial economy past. Yeah. We need more people who are thinking, um, you know, who are Renaissance women and men. To yeah. just look at it and say, hey, let's go and try to sort of figure out what the next model is. I think venture capitalists have always banked on the familiar. But now I think they're starting to realize that the oddballs, the ones that just don't follow the, 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 the um, traditional path are the people that we should be seeking. And we're, we're actually seeing that. I think like three of the most recent unicorns in the business space are all started by women. This okay. is interesting. Women who have not followed a traditional technical path and who have all been fired early in their career from <laughs> traditional big companies. That says something right there. They've all been able to say, hey, screw the man. I'm going to just go do it my way. And now they're worth more than they would have if they stayed in those traditional jobs. Hey, Kerry Harrison, That's right? Great, isn't it? Great. 
woman and an oddball together. <laughs> yeah. In there. I've got a feeling we're onto something. Yeah. No, that's great. That's 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 really interesting point there. Really yeah, that's fascinating. Thank you. That's that makes sense of your your um your pathway, your sort of winding pathway to where you are. That's that's really cool. Um, another thing I was really interested in, just because this is some of the stuff that we do as well, is the conversation design and experience design. And I noticed on your LinkedIn that you have designed a chatbot for Bing alongside for Amazon Alexa skills. I was just wondering if you could talk about the key differences when you're designing conversations for chatbots versus designing for voice. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the other thing too to add to that is I yeah I've now designed for Cortana and Google Home, okay. so I actually I actually have been playing in all those domains, Amazing. and they are all very different, which I think is really interesting. That's still an open area in terms of who's going to you know control voice. But the thing about chatbots that is is interesting to note is. You know, people usually have a screen in front of them, and they're and they're and they're typing back and forth. So you have the visual enablement yeah. when you're programming. You have to think about the fact that, okay, what would you, you know, what would a instant messenger or text chat look like? You know, what would that back and forth banter look like? Yeah, and you have to think about that for a chatbot experience. Whereas with voice, there is no visualization many times. So you have yeah. to think about like, okay, hey, what would a conversation be like if I'm on the street with a friend and we're yeah. just going back and forth and talking? Yeah. You know, what are the words I'm going to use? Will the agent hear that? What will set the uh, voice agent off so that they give the proper response? I mean, these are things yeah. now that I think what's so fascinating is technology is becoming more human by the day. Absolutely. Because we, yeah. it is operating similar to a human. So even though people hate, there's a lot of people who hate chatbots. I mean, the thing that's interesting about it is if you can program it so it feels like you're having a text chat with a friend, that can go pretty far. The same yeah. thing, I think, with voice agents. We're still stuck in a world where, you know, a lot of people just want to give in to the, oh, hey, let them, let them contact us through email are through some antiquated system, you know, are calling. I mean, again, I have no issue with people calling a phone number, you know, to help with, yeah. you know, issues they might have um, with customer service. But, you know, you have to think about these other touch points that are available. I mean, I'm definitely not a person who thinks, oh, this stuff is going to take over the world. I just look at it as another user interface for yeah. Yeah. how the world works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool, that's yeah. really helpful. Um, no, so I should pass it over to you because I've hogged the conversation. <laughs> Powerful and profound, I would say. Now, uh, Jeffrey, I noticed, I noticed um, you have the trends show, okay, the Microsoft thing, yeah? That I think it was the first edition recently, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Um, now we had, on, we've had, we've had an American invasion of Tiny Giant because obviously the last um, episode featured Anne Hyatt and obviously she talked at South by Southwest and on the podcast it was all much about the trends now you're the trend show guy right I see you on it right media not only podcast royalty but sort of like man in the man in the spotlight right you know the trends before they even become trends yeah so perhaps you could steer the audience give us some of the things that you think are exciting happening maybe it's so sort of below the radar yet that will become part of the the marketing mix, the tech. What have you seen out there? 
across the future? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, one of the people I really admire, uh, you know, for your listening audience is um, this this person named Rohit Bhargava. I've interviewed him several times. He actually worked with me at Ogilvy. He puts out this really, really, really good um, annual book called Non-Obvious, where he looks at, you know, trends sort of below the radar. Um, I think everyone should, you know, read that book if they can every year, because again, he writes it annually. Um, there's two things he has pointed out that I think are really interesting. Uh, one is called um, uh, Extreme Uncluttering. And the other one is passive loyalty. And the reason why I bring these up is because yeah. we're just living in a society now where I think a lot of people are like, hey, how do I downgrade or downsize my life? It's gotten too busy. There's too many things. I own too much stuff. And so, and a lot of this is based on or, or rooted in economics. I mean, a lot of times people are just like, hey, I don't really have the income to waste on things anymore, uh, but maybe I want to actually spend them on interesting experiences and not stuff. So people are downgrading a lot of this. And what's happening in the digital space is it's leading to people actually downgrading their smartphones. So you now have, you know, I now have friends that will show me their smartphone. They have like four apps on it. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, you have four apps on your phone? Like, what happened to all the other ones? Ah, I wanted to get rid of all of them. I don't need all that clutter. Mm -hmm. um, that um, has quest led to people questioning, hey, how much software are you actually using? Uh, we did this uh, study recently where the average person who works at a company is using maybe up to 45 pieces of software. That's way too much. You can't get anything done. No. I mean, so, you know, this whole myth that, software will liberate you and make it much easier to do. Yeah. If you can actually downsize where you're only using so much, so much of it. If, if I was using maybe five pieces of software a week, I would say like, yes, this does empower me. But I think a lot of it still is, um, uh, you know, it, re it requires a lot to do sort of our day-to-day -day job. So that's a, that's a big trend that I've been watching in terms of the uncluttering. The passive loyalty is really interesting because the big topic in, marketing is you hear tons of people say our customers our customers our customers and the problem there is nobody's really your customer anymore because what will end up happening is you ask people we ask people the wrong question at at in in places of work we'll ask people are you happy and they'll respond yes but then if you ask them the question hey if that company over there offers you an opportunity will you take it and the answer usually is yes. That shows that people are passively loyal to most of their opportunities. And again, this is all rooted in economics because people don't know if they're going to be, you know, here today, gone today mm -hmm. with their with their jobs. And when it comes to actually, um, uh, when it comes to you know, consumer packaged goods and other solutions, the reason we're passively loyal is because. There's a number of things where we might find and say, that's a cheaper solution. That's a better solution. That's a more interesting solution. So I think the big thing for that, that legacy companies have to think about is, you know, how do you actually keep people interested and excited knowing that you don't really have customers anymore? Everyone's just passively loyal. 
And it's they're only a heartbeat away from just saying, yeah, sorry, I know I've you know used your services for a long period of time, but I think I'm going to move in another direction because I found something cheaper, better, faster, you know, more interesting. And I think that's really caught a lot of marketers um, off guard. And it's led to this whole contrarian voice within the marketing community that's not really contrarian at all that's saying, maybe we need to think about long-term brand building again uh, because people have just forgotten about it because they think that all they need to do is acquire customers and those customers will stay loyal. But you have to really think about like what will keep a customer loyal. And um, that's good products, good service, good customer uh, satisfaction, or I should say, you know, good uh, customer relationship management. I mean, all the things that most companies don't really develop. I mean, CRM is something that most companies don't like to spend any money on, but that should actually be at the forefront because that's how you actually keep people satisfied if they know they're going to get the help that they need. I think one of the reasons I like American Express so much is the second I call them, they always answer on the first ring. There's no phone tree, and the and the and the and the person there is is really wants to help me. That makes me never want to get you know a Visa or a Mastercard, yeah. uh, because of that good CRM. We have we have downgraded a lot of that. We feel like we've been able to automate a lot of that. I think there's a lot of areas now that AI can open up for some of these companies. But those are two areas, you know, Richard, that I think are really sort of exciting. Now, uh, I'm gonna, I've am got a couple more questions, if that's okay with you, Jeffrey, I'd like to touch upon. I'm going to make sure I'm just in my head. I'm doing the right order. I think so. Now, for the, for the listener, we're going to go a little bit meta, Jeffrey, because it's podcast to podcast, right? Because you have disruptive FM, yeah? Um, 37 episodes in. If I was to say to you, uh, well, I was going to say elevator pitch, but actually... Tell us a, a foot because I'm assuming the people who come to Tiny Giant Jams, they're looking for new, they're looking for insight, they're looking for gold. And it's a great opportunity, you know, having you here to hear about what you set out to do with your podcast and who you get on it and what are the sort of things that people get excited about. Yeah, I mean, I've been interviewing a lot of people who are just doing things that are, you know, controversial now in business, you know, on the edge. I had the, this this gentleman by the name of Chris Butte beauty um he works for the national basketball association but he, he's really known because um he automated an instagram account a couple of years ago he actually you know did it because he just didn't have a lot of time but he was like hey i want to run an instagram account i sort of want to influence where people go in new york city to go to restaurants and it has caused crazy backlash because people are like, how dare you automate, you know, an Instagram experience? How dare you possibly automate away influencers? Having a conversation with him, though, I understand why he's doing what he's doing. Running an Instagram account is time consuming. That's not his full time job. Yeah. And he doesn't have the ability to like sit there and curate all these experiences. So he basically as a developer figured out a way to find images that would be relevant for his feed and automated a lot of the work so he could sort of like um, focus on the creative side of, 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 of the spectrum. But it just gets so much backlash from people who don't understand, you know, oh, you're trying to replace, you know, a human experience with a robot. You know, my, my question that I always have for a lot of journalists is, you know, name one thing you do that isn't automated. 
I mean, when you think about when they think when they when they file like a a story, most of the time it goes into a content management system that schedules their post. That's automation. We all use automation in some form. And I think the reason I'm having a lot of these discussions on the show and interviewing a lot of people who are on the edge is because I want to prepare them psychologically for what, you know, what comes next, you know, cause you have a lot of people who are like, AI is terrible. We can never have it, get rid of it without really understanding it, Richard. You know what yeah. I mean? They don't really understand it. It's the same thing with like voice agents. Like how dare you program a voice agent with machine learning? Nobody wants that. And it's like, these are humans creatively figuring these things out. There's no robot behind that. We have to get more comfortable with the fact that, you know, humans are still a very, very, very big part of society and will be for some time. Um, and, and that, you know, most of the tools we have, we're using them in ways that maybe can solve problems or make things a little bit uh, easier, so to speak. But I, I just, you know, those are a lot of the conversations that I'm having. And, you know, I try to interview at least one, you know, person per week that is, that is caught up in something that's interesting. I just, you know, interviewed Ann Cavanaugh, who's the CEO of this company, Stereo. Stereo is a music programming service for ride sharing platforms. The reason that was interesting to me is it's like, she's paying riders to play music in their car from their app. What I thought was fascinating with that is most services now don't really pay. Theirs does. And it's a, it's the ability to target, um, the people in the car almost as like an ad network. I thought that was really interesting because I think, you know, that is a huge ad network. If we think of Lyft and Uber and other things that other people haven't figured out, but you know, again, these are really oddball businesses or things on the edge, but those that, you know, we, we need to watch those cause that's really where things could be going or it could fall by the wayside and go nowhere. I mean, again, predicting the future isn't, you know, set in stone and I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. It's just sort of interesting to watch human behavior develop, though. Well, I think what we'll we'll definitely we'll put a link in the in the tiny chance because I think yeah, people should rush not only to hear edgy conversation, or, or Jeffrey out there looking for people on the edge, but also let's not forget that banging tune. Now, I've got one last question for you, Jeffrey, today. Um, when this podcast um, finishes shortly, and uh, you walk away reflecting of your time with us on the air, and we thank you. Uh, profoundly for coming on the others. What what will you what will you be doing? What disruptive thing will you be doing once you leave wherever you are now? What's what's your typical Jeffrey day? A typical where it's Jeffrey Friday in nine degrees Seattle. What's going to happen today? Yeah, I mean I'm going off to a meeting. I'm going to present about um, voice skills, the different types of voice skills, why you develop them, how you design them, why you should or shouldn't design them. I think the the big question now at a, at a, at technology companies is should that be built? We shouldn't always just say like let's build that because we can, but like hey, should that be built? Um, I think those are those are those are interesting conversations that we'll probably have more of, especially when it comes to the ethical side of 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 uh, of software and some things that we can develop. So, doing a lot of that. Uh, I also have you know, some creative sort of brainstorming time I use on a Friday afternoon with uh, two people who I work really closely with in terms of, hey, where do we want to go the next couple of weeks? What kind of thought leadership pieces can we publish? What kind of things do we want to capture? What are we seeing out there that we can expose? 
Um, I have to write the script for my next podcast. So I'm in the same boat as, as you, who's, you know, the next guest we want to go after. And then of course, just like everybody else, I got to do some, you know, things like my expenses, my oh. expense reports, <laughs> you know, the boring stuff, but stuff that, uh, you know, is part of just doing day-to-day -day work at, 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 a, at, a, at any company, no matter what uh, size I, it might be. I was, uh, sadly, I was kind of thinking, there you are in your, in your big Microsoft HQ, that those kind of things you'd send by mind transfer. But hey, there's still some way to go yet. I wish. About that stuff, would you? Now, I do have one. I'm going to, I'm going to Nort's bonus question time, right? In the world that you exist in, with your podcast and your trends and, and your ability to look across the entire spectrum of technology and marketing, in your opinion, what is the most exciting thing right now? Oh, wow. I mean, I think the most exciting thing is the ability for some software systems to, to make people more creative. Um, we, you know, we don't talk about this a lot. We, we look at software as that's just going to make more, you know, people who are already analytical stronger. What it really does is it actually forces analytical people to become more creative and it strengthens creative people because things in the past that may have taken a lot of time to do like, Hey, let's match, you know, a million photographs to figure out which 10 are best. You know, then it comes down to the creative person to figure out, okay, which one are we going to go with now that basically machine learning has figured out, you know, which ones of a, of a segment are, worth going after. Um, and I mean, it's the same thing, I think, in the programmatic world. Like, we have this tendency of thinking like, oh, advertising will, you know, is being replaced by basically machines. But there's the creative element that still has to be thought of in terms of, well, what imaging are we going to use? What copy are we going to use? What formats are we going to use? Who are we trying to reach? What are we trying to get them to do? I mean, that's still rooted in creative um, strategic conversations that, um, that, you know, isn't going to be replaced anytime soon by, um, you know, by software. So I think those are the things that are really interesting to me right now is like, you know, what will be automated that we should automate away? Mm. Like for example, my expense reports, I mean, geez, a whiz, we should be able to do that through mind transfer. But I mean, you know, there's other things that I think that opens us up to, liberates us, allows us to actually think about, you know, what are the creative things that we could, um, you know, we could be doing. So those are, those are exciting for me. And I think, you know, uh, there's a lot of areas in which the creative community, uh, can tap into that, you know, they're probably not able to tap into right now because just the ability to use a lot of this software is, it's just not available just yet. Someone is still sort of trying to figure out, you know, how do we scale it? How do we take it? you know, use it to, in a way that can reach, you know, larger segments of society. But yeah, I'm always looking for, you know, how do you, how do, how do creatives basically do their jobs maybe in new and unique ways as a result of not having to do all the, the, the tasks at hand that really sort of, I think, cripple them from what they're hired for, which is, you know, creative solution making. Unfettered, unfettered creativity. Hey, uh, Jeffrey, do they call you? I, I, I think they should. Do they call you the Sage of Seattle? No, 
And I, I do not want to, I do I'm, not want that term. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to start an online campaign. I think it's very fashionable. It's been very fashionable. Now, so it's been an absolute honor and a privilege for you, for us to have you on the show and for you to um, be kind enough to give us your time. It's been absolutely fantastic conversation for you, listener. We're going to take a lot of these elements because we've, there's a lot of ground being covered there. And we're going to put a whole bunch of stuff in the links so people can follow through. So I would just like to say on behalf of Tiny Giant Jam Sheffy, thank you ever so much for your time today. Thank you, Richard. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. And uh, do have a a wonderful uh, rest of the day in Seattle. Thank you. You as well. 